reminding people to say thank you at Thanksgiving is a little bit predictable. Uh, perhaps we should try and do something new in, um, in light of all the new things that we experienced in 2020. Maybe we're up to just doing some old things that we liked long ago. <laughs> um, anyway, saying thank you is one of the most fundamental moments in the Christian experience to each other and, and say thanks to God in this weekend, but this, this Thanksgiving, it's almost like those moments where, you know, siblings who are fighting and your parents separate them in the living room with all the wreckage around you, they say to you, now I want you to say sorry to each other. It's almost like when somebody at the table says, I want everybody to say something that they're thankful for. It, it's a good exercise, but it almost feels like it's a little forced. Hmm. I even find myself saying thank you in moments that I'm not really not really very thankful, like when I received a ticket from a police officer. Going through, I knew he was going to do it. He went back, he came with a clipboard, I saw it, I saw his steps. He came to the, to the window and he started to go through, line by line on this ticket that, uh, to make sure the instructions, to pay this ticket in an appropriate way. And I look at all this, the whole time, I'm not happy, I'm not thankful, there's no generosity, I didn't want to pay for this, I was safe, and then he finishes it, hands the ticket, and he says, drive safe and have a good day. And what do I always do when he says that? Thank you. And I always want to take that back. I want to say, I didn't mean it, and, and throw it out the window. You're not supposed to do that, and I'm not that rebellious. But in all of that, I think, well, what I was doing, saying sorry, I'm so insincere to say that. I did not want this gift. And so as we look at this Sabbath message, let's take a look at the, I don't know, the anatomy of thanks. Let's consider what does it really mean to do this. Saying thanks is, is a transaction where you receive a gift or an exchange, a mutual transfer of goods sometimes, experiences and even thoughts or words that were spoken. But typically after saying thank you, you kind of move on. I mean, it's not the gratitude is not there, it's not erased, but it has its luster and it, it tends to fade in time that the gravity of gratitude is not there until you have a, a memory or are reminded by yourself or others that you should be thankful for this moment. It is one of those moments that has uh, of time, like kind of a garden. When you, when you plant things, it's gonna grow and you have to take care of it, but after a while it fades and if you don't look at it, you don't do anything, it goes away and all you have is weeds. And at the end, that's what you have, these words of gratitude. It's not so penetrating, it doesn't have that gravity all through the day. 
in moments after you say those words. It just goes away. Now, I have a few cards on my desk. I get these cards from the students, and I think sometimes it's because they're um, told to do that by their teachers. Good for teachers. Thank you. But I have these, um, these thank you cards and birthday cards that they give, and I want to share a few with you today because these are particularly important for me, and I'll tell you why a little bit, but not all. I'll share this one. This is one of my favorite ones from Rika Hinshaw. It was a beautiful mind given this beautiful, um, be- beautiful gift. Um, she just wanted to say thank you for all I, that I do. She doesn't really know what I do, but she knows enough to say thank you. But it was the picture that caught me. Um, if you look at her picture, she made a hippo. And it's not just any hippo, it's a striped one um, that I've never seen before. But this is probably why she has put the name for this hippo called the Hippo of Happy. And I just, I had to laugh, but I laughed, I cried, and I pass it around, I take it with me sometimes. Rika, I'm so sorry, but I want to be in a group of people who are a part of the the hippo of happy, thank you so much. Um, And there's another one here, it's one of my favorite ones here. Um, This is from Sahara Browning. Um, She gave this to me, Um, it's her thank you. I love the colors that um, she chose, of course, but what she said inside, and she might not like me for this, but she gave me these, these great words, and I'm, you're gonna have to just overlook a little bit of her spelling. You know, I think she was in fifth grade, um, maybe sixth. Um, but she's talking about a moment where I go to her class and I talk a little bit about Australia and I bring all the things that will be fun and anywhere she does this, and apparently she had a hard time spelling Australia, but she says, Assessatralia, um, and then she says, I think I spelt it wrong, but anyway, she does something wonderful. She does this cart, she starts editing the cart right there, scratching things, and at the end, she just puts a great, I don't know, it's a crocodile or something like that, but um, I know this person, I know her heart. She is a wonderful, wonderful person. And I felt so grateful that she would put all the time into that moment. And I was going to mention that, you know, most of people in Australia, they abbreviate their words, they don't make things bigger, but she actually expanded those words even more. So um, I think they'll be very, and it might be true that I actually shared them, some of the people in Australia, that what she did, and um, anyway, she'll have a lot of friends overseas if she goes. Also, one more, um, this one sticks right here on my door, and I see it all the time. It comes from um, Nicole, Nicole Bennett Gomes, and um, she has been a friend for a long time, and she said something um, about me, the most amazing, outgoing, inspirational pastor in the world. I added that at the end, but she gives her loves and prayers, but um, she also did some art. She mentioned 
that this is a fun guy. And um, the first time I didn't even understand the, the joke, but I, I got it eventually. Those things, I'm, I have many of those things that are reminding me every day that um, the time that you take to actually say thank you is, is precious. Um, now I can extract more meaning from these cards and embarrass them a little bit and probably me for myself, but um, these little cards or these moments are just one sample of this moment of stopping. Um, a moment to be reminded to stir the best of what you value and love for. And today, um, I, want to, I want to consider the story of the healing of 10 lepers in, in Luke 17. It's a story that I believe is more, uh, it's probably the best story about Thanksgiving. It's a great message, but it's also one of those life-altering um, challenges for us today. And even, I'm gonna say, it might say something about the end of time as well. And the implications are very pivotal. Are you ready? So let's walk through the story in Luke 17. And we'll go through the story, because stories teach essentially themselves. You, you have the audience, that what you need. And they do the hard work. The storytelling, they just make sure that you're clear. So let's go through this passage in the Bible, Luke 17, verse 11 to 19. And I'm gonna highlight a few phrases as we do that. First of all, on the way to Jerusalem, um, we see that this whole story happens. Now you need to understand that the book of Luke, half of the book is really about one long road trip for Jesus to Jerusalem. From about well, chapter nine all the way to 19, we're talking about this moment where Jesus is actually making a trek to, to, to Jerusalem, to the cross, to be the ascension, essentially. And there are these 10 chapters that are filled with miracles and wonderful stories. But all of them are on the way to Jerusalem. Also, um, the journey will straddle several sections where the state line borders between the primary area, the regions for Samaria and Galilee are there. And they basically share the fence of their properties, essentially. And as we go through this story, it continues to, we discover that there are 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lift up your voice and they're calling out. These 10 lepers are there at a distance because of the proximity for society rules and then religious implications as well. They're standing at a distance and you'll see this phrase again. It's not just the lepers who are standing at a distance, but you'll see that phrase. I love this phrase because at the end you'll see even the disciples were ostracized, stepped back at the cross. That phrase comes up several times in the book of Luke and you'll see it, but it's again and it's 
calling out to us saying, there is a separation between the whole and the broken, the saved and the not saved. That moment is very real, not only in the minds, but also in proximity. Also, Jesus, um, they call out and say, um, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And we don't know how much they knew about Jesus. They knew enough about reputation, um, and they were calling out for help. Maybe they heard about stories about miracles before. Maybe there are um, stories that are going from town to town, but they identified this person as the rabbi. They called out to him. And it's also true that they're calling out and saying, um, have mercy on us. And it's, it's insightful in our world that we have so many different divisions and groups. Sharing the, the deadly sentence of leprosy brought them all onto one banner. Addiction groups feel that same banner. Cancer patients feel the same banner. A group that all the other things that might divide ourselves, so the attributes that might be different, those things don't matter because there's one thing that brings them all together and that, that is their leprosy, their loss, their death sentence. And then it says, it says that Jesus saw them. I did a search all the way through the Gospels and I found at least 10 to 15 moments where Jesus saw people. And we're not just talking about seeing people with their eyes, the optical uh, approach, but it's actually something a little bit more deep. It's another more um, perception to be able to see a person, not just their physical appearance, but to actually see them well. You see that Jesus saying that mm, the, the crowds came to him for food and were struggling in Matthew 9, and there was compassion, and, and Jesus um, encounters um, in Luke 7 a woman who's burying his only son, who's a widder, widow, and he has compassion. His heart went out to that person because he saw her. He saw the woman in the temple who's giving their two pennies into the offering, and he says, he saw her in a world where we feel like we're so alone. The gospel is pretty clear. There's this person, this one whose name is Jesus, who does see us well. He doesn't miss us. The word is not simply seeing, but to perceive us well. And then, in the story it says, When he saw that, he told them to go see the priests. There's no medicine, there's no waving of the hands, there's no magic, just go show yourselves to the priests. And what were they supposed to do? In order to actually come back into society again, they had to go and see a priest. 
It's interesting what would happen for the Samaritan because the Samaritan actually couldn't go back to a Jewish priest. They would have to have their own priest for that, but they have to go, and, and what is he going to do? And there is something that's not just a function. It's not just a ritual. It's just not going to the health um, building and getting a certificate that's signed. No, this something even more than just getting a, a priest who's going to examine them. There's something they're supposed to see. You actually see this um, story in the book of Leviticus, um, chapter 14, and it's not just entering them into society again, because leprosy was like a death sentence. It's almost like they gave a certificate for them. They're outside of the synagogue, they're out of society, out of the camp, they're outside the villages. They can't come in. But now, for them to come in, they go through a a process. You know, the process in, in Leviticus is pretty interesting, but it's very simple. We'll go through it quickly, but you're supposed to go and see the priest, and when they are supposed to um, come to that place, you're supposed to bring two live birds. Two live birds to, for sacrifice. And then what happens is, is you're supposed to go and take one of the birds and to sacrifice that. And the blood is supposed to go into an earthen vessel. And that earthen vessel is to be captured again with the blood and living water or running water into this vessel. And then you're supposed to take the live bird to immerse that live bird into the blood and the water, and then it says that you're supposed to to let them open into the open air and let the live bird free. You can imagine that, that leper, to, to witness this experience, to actually do this sacrifice, to see the blood, to see the water, to see the death, and then see the bird in the air flapping its wings and the spray of the water and the blood into the air. This unmistakable message of the cross, this Old Testament ritual in Leviticus shows up in these moments for us to say that there is a savior, that there is a redemption, there is our redeemer, and it's gonna cost. Life and death. And what an amazing moment that they were to see. And it does say this on the text back in the story. You'll see that, that this healing for these 10 lepers happened as they were on the way. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they, they received the command, and then they walked. And as they were walking, and only when they were walking, they looked to their hands and their feet, and they found that leprosy had been cleansed. Wow. By motion, by movement, by going, 
they found that. Now, if you were to stop the story now and we would have another beautiful incident where Jesus fixes our problem and all we have to do is tack on to the end of this story right now, put a period and put a tack on and say, and everyone wondered and marveled on the things that Jesus had done in all all the region. And it's like, it's fine. It looks like so many other stories in the gospel. It fits. How many stories just finished like that? Right there. They asked. They took a, a, a little moment of faith to walk, and they were healed. Praise God. And that's not where this story ends, though. And if you were to put that period at the end, you're missing the whole point. You're actually... And the story is only getting started because the story teaches something so more wonderful and important. This is one of those moments. This is one of those once upon a time moments, a rare moment in the Gospels where Jesus actually gives a compliment. You think that he's not cold, but he doesn't hand out compliments very well. It doesn't happen often. Actually, nine times, he's given out a compliment. I looked at all of those moments. Why? Because in all of those moments, you actually see whatever Jesus is arrested by. What are the things that Jesus find wonderful? What are the things he's amazed by about people? If you were going to see Jesus standing up and cheering, about a certain person, their attitude or their actions or their, their heart, you would have that precious moment where you have a, a window into heaven, into the heart of God. You'll see what really matters to God. Well, that's a great story for some of us to just look at those wonderful moments where Jesus said, that's amazing. You just did this. Everybody should stop and look at this person. And this is where the story really starts. So let's continue to see the best part of the story. There were 10 lepers. They asked for mercy. They told them to go. They went. They were cleansed from their leprosy. But then the story comes again. The first moment comes where this one individual saw that he was healed. Do you see that in the text? The one of them, one of them, of the 10, he saw that he was healed. What does that mean? It's one of those moments where you Stop and you see things clearly with perception to see the need and the ramifications, the motivation, the, the meaning. The Samaritan could not go to the priest, but they looked at the, the skin and you had to say, what just happened to me? 
What do, you, what do you think he saw when he saw the skin responded to his body, changing it? Did he imagine all that he could now do and be because of that? What did he felt with his nerves again and, and poke and pinch that were awakened in his hands and his feet? Did he inquire a deep re- revelation, a question in his mind? What? in the world just happened. To me, you see, he saw that he was healed. To stop, to understand. I just don't stop enough to understand. Is it possible today that we don't stop and see what's really going on You can take the things on the top of your list of the things that you're really frustrated about right now. In 2020, we know it's the same list. (laughs) But what, what is really going on to stop, to understand our situation, to take a look at our emotions and the things that are agitated, our hearts and minds, one, when we're feeling pain or frustrated or or afraid, excited, cautious, anxious, disappointed, joy, angry, or content, whatever these emotions that you feel, stop. Where does it come from? What's going on with this? How do I do this? How do I understand this? So seeing this experience of healing was transformative for this person. You can see all of those things, but you have to see the details, all the little things together, and to see it back and see the whole. You ever seen the scale of the universe before? A friend has this on their screen, um, but it's constantly going back into the microscopic things and then to the telescopic things around the world. And there's something that happens. Be seeing the details and then looking at the big picture. And this is how we see well. We do that when we read the Bible, put it into our hearts and apply that out into our lives. We do this all the time. To not do that, we'll find ourselves that we're not seeing things very well. Hyper-focused, maybe stuck on your vision. The frame of your reference point gets pretty narrow, narrow narrow-minded. You see that, This, this leper moves. The first step is to stop and see what's going on. Secondly, the second move you see in this story is wonderful. He turns back, praising God with a loud voice. The turning around is the choice into a a deeper mind and a deeper uh, emotion. The moment when you have a thought and a choice and you actually activate that, when you do something, 
You don't want to run, but the moment you start moving your feet and you have the shoes on your feet, it's, you are more committed than you were But just thinking about it. The same thing by saying the words that you want to say. When you step at their door or you start doing the text and you say it, those are those moments where you activate the mind. And this individual turns back and starts praising God with a loud voice. Reminds me, I will never forget this moment. It was on, in College Place here. I think it was in a summer. I was driving down on 4th Street, and as I was coming down 4th Street, had my window down, and I knew it was hot, and I was driving. I always wave at everyone, and as I was coming back on 4th Street at the, dump, uh, the bottom of the, the hill, there was a person on the left side of the street in front of their front yard. It was a young woman, probably about 25, 26 years old, standing with the ladder. And with one hand, as I'm driving by, she starts waving to me. You know, I don't really um, have 26-year-old women wave to me at 50 years old. Um, it didn't happen when I was 26 either, but, but you understand that when people are just gonna wave and you don't know them very well, and so I wave, and the whole time I'm thinking, what, that was weird, what's going on? Was she waving to me? That's awkward, I mean, I didn't know what was going on, I'm just driving by, and she's standing there with a the ladder, waving. There was something very strange with that that moment, and I'm driving, I keep going down to the college, and I get to the university, and I go past the church, and I get down to the CT, and I'm, the whole time it was bugging me. I said, that, that's not right, that's not normal, that's, and I stopped, and I said, I'm going to turn around. I turned around in the parking lot where the radio station is, I turned back up the street, and I drove up to that place, And I opened the door and I waved and she was standing in the same place with her hand on the ladder. And I started to say, well, this is strange. Um, I said, um, well, hello, were you waving to me? Which is, that is a weird thing to say. I'm not very good with words like that in those moments anyway, but um, are you watching, are you, you know, waving to me? And she nodded, and I said, it wasn't right. Her face was so pained, and I said, are, are you all right? And she was shaking her head, no. She could not speak, and I said, are you in trouble? And all the thoughts in my mind was going on. This is not a normal story. This is, this is there's something wrong. This, she's in trouble. I said, are you in trouble? And she nodded and looked at her hand that was holding the ladder and her hand. I looked and I found out why she couldn't speak. She was had so much pain. Her hand has caught, it was caught by the ladder that collapses, the one that um, collapses in, part of her hand was caught inside. 
And there was no blood or anything like that, but it was stuck and she couldn't move it. And in order to extend those ladders, you actually need to have two hands to do that, to hold the lever and pull it apart. And she was stuck. It got stuck in her hand in there. And I thought, oh my, and I'm not really, no, I'm not even like, I would not be a very good doctor because my bed you know, side manners. Side. I was gonna say to her, I says, that hurts. She's, she's saying, of course it hurts. Yeah, I says, well, what's gonna happen next is gonna hurt even more. Um, so I said those words and she's looked at me with her eyes wide. And I was gonna say, on the count of three, I'm going to release this thing and it's gonna release your hand, but just breathe when we do that. And I um, started to do that instead of doing on the count of three. I did it before because she's going to have stress. So I opened it up and her hand was free. And she fell to the ground with a cry. Of course, there was no blood or a broken, you know, bones or anything like that that I could see. But that whole hand was bruised. And she looked up and she just said, thank you, thank you. The sad reality is, is I've had a hundred moments where I dismiss the moment like that. The gravity of my schedule wins over the expense of turning back. To stop, to say words that you really need to say, to ask, to probe, to, to persevere. To, to change your direction, to change your posture, to change your life is one moment where you turn around and go into a different, another endeavor. The whole way back, I told to God again and again, don't let my voice, my impulse, my superficial step back moments like this, don't let this be forgotten. I do not want to forget this. I want to turn back. I, I don't want to miss the opportunities. I don't want to ever be so calloused to the world around. And then I just find so many moments where I did that. I, I went back and, and I just confess today to all who hear <laughs> that I'm so sorry if I have ever been too busy to not see your moment. I regret that I spoke quickly or hurried or preoccupied with my, my own effort. My job, my thoughts, my goals. If I could just take back those moments, the immediate moments, those I can just go back to a place of grace. I can find more of those than the months, the moments where I just dismiss those. In all of that, we don't live with regrets, but it was a good moment for me in that story that we see our situation and that we have to do a physically turn around. And then this one leper who returns has one more move. It says in the text, it says, he comes back and he falls on his face at Jesus' feet. 
and giving thanks. To say it out, to put down onto the ground physically your posture, to give birth to your gratitude physically, to say things that you should say. It is more than a moment. It's the one place where praising God. And this is what he was doing. He was praising God at the moment. At the moment where he found out that he was cleansed, his praise started then and it just grew. What a sight to witness someone who does more than just saying thank you, more than gratitude. Consider the one who worships Jesus and Jesus alone. The road of turning back leads you to worship your creator and your recreator. The challenge, the transform moment in this story tells us this uncommon ability to stop, to see well, and turn back and find a place to simply worship Jesus. Where's the end part? I told you we're going to talk about, you know, the end, the end of the world as you know it. Where's that part in this story? Do you see it in the text? I look at at the end here, and you see Jesus saying a few words. He says a few things. He says, there were 10. Where, where are the nine? Is there no one who can find to return and give praise to God other than this foreigner? And, it, and it's like, it's not a, it's just a perfect description of all the, par, the parables about the end that Jesus talks about this. How it ends at the end of life on the, the whole story of redemption, the great controversy ends. Where are the people? The, from the beginning to the flood, the parables of Jesus and the narrow way um, at the end, it all shows up. You'll be surprised if somebody's there or not there, and you'll be surprised. All of this stuff, Jesus tells us in this story, the, the self-righteous people in Matthew, <laughs> they're not gonna go in there first. They're all these stories after stories about the end where you don't have it right. If, you're, if you are wash, worshiping Jesus and, and you're worshiping Jesus alone, well, not notice who's around you and the other worshipers, but you have to see this theme that shows up at the end. You'll see it. Give praise and give worship to the Creator. Where do we get that? In all of this, this part, we see the moment when people find out that they are redeemed. They worship the Lamb. 
And at the end of this, Jesus says, rise up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's a totally different word. It's not about cleansing. That's a very physical um, word for the, the ten. They were all cleansed, but this is a different word. This actually means that you are saved. Your faith, your response, your worship has made it clear that you are in a place of the redeemed. You're saved. I see all of that against all the obstacles and the opportunities, the one returns back and give praise to worship and Jesus honors his worship. He, he says, does anybody see this? Is anybody watching and see what's going on right here? This person has just done the one thing that I've asked all to do, to see it, to change your life by changing your feet, to see your face down the road and see Jesus. You'll see the same thing at the end. You, you'll find people who are so single-mindedness on Jesus, is not aware of people around. You won't see that there's somebody who's a foreigner or an outcast or disenfranchised people. You'll only see your object at the end, Jesus. This is what we'll see at the end. You see it in the book of Revelation, Revelation 12, 14. It's a deep, beautiful story, a song about the Lamb. Follow the Lamb, it says in Revelation chapter 12. In verse um, Revelation 4 and 5, they're always singing about the Lamb. And what they say all the time, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb, they say. They fall down in worship in Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 7, the angels are around the throne of Jesus and they're doing the same thing. Revelation 11, 16. This is the 24 elders who are there doing the same thing. Falling down on your feet and worship the Lamb, Jesus. Revelation 19, there's a giant multitude, so if you thought you were gonna be the only one, get out of that, uh, that mindset because there's a whole multitude, multitude who are actually saying hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lamb. Where'd they get this idea? You see Revelation, that special chapter in Revelation 14. What do they do in that chapter? Look it up. It says they sing to the Lamb. They follow the Lamb. They worship the Creator. They obey Christ. And they have the faithfulness to Jesus to the end. Where do you get this kind of worship? It's so beautiful. And at the end, you say, well, will you be in the end like this? Maybe the best way to approach the end in all of this, this whole worship moment, is to let the leper's example to be your guide, to show you the way, to follow this 
foreigner, this lost person who makes that turn around and comes to the place. And maybe if you were to do that, you'll see the same thing that he was saying. The same thing that we said in the book of Revelation where they say, what is that song we used to sing? I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. At the end of your walk with Jesus, you will find him at the end. We'll be doing the same thing at the end, what we're doing today. We're going to stop. We're going to see well. We're going to turn around and make those moments matter more. Because when we turn our feet, they take us to the place where we'll see Jesus. When I was speaking in Brisbane, Australia, I was outside of a camp meeting. I was going to speak up to the front. I was in the back getting ready. I was getting ready for the things that I was supposed to say. And the last row was a young man. And there was lights and there was loud music and people were praising God. And at the end, there was a young man who had dropped down to the grass before the chair in front of him and was singing with his hands high. His eyes were open, praising God on his knees. And I was going to mention to him that maybe the choir director will say, you get more out of your diaphragm if you stand up and... <laughs> No, I was so amazed by that moment and I felt convicted that here I am getting ready to walk up and talk about Jesus, to invite people to command, to call, to inspire this great Jesus and yet I'm standing there in this presence. I put down a knee into the grass so that I could soak my knee and I could see it and feel it when I walked up. I'll never remember that moment without feeling my knee. (laughs) That soaking moment where I felt like the best thing I'll ever do in life is to fall down. Feet of Jesus. As we continue in these unprecedented times, know that the worship is so key. It's so primary. Our response to our world, it's not just for us personally, but look at it at the end of time. People are going to witness worship one way or another. We'll lead by our example. We'll lead We don't have to lead from the front. We can lead from the back this ability to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not going to hurt us. And at the end, people will finally see the gospel 
the end. It's foreign, it's strange to say it, but seeing it well, turning around and worshiping the Savior is the best and final call at the end. As we learn here, it's also true at the end of our day, we find the same Savior looking at us and saying, well done. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.